Heavenly Father, we lay down our, all the treasures that we hold so dearly, and we lay them before your throne this morning as we worship you together as your church, the body of Christ, and gather together with other brothers and sisters in Christ around the area here, around the world, worshiping you, the one true God. We thank you for this opportunity we have to gather, to worship, and we pray that we would treasure you deeply today as we hear from your word, as we gather in fellowship, as we grow in our discipleship with one another. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Encourage you to say hello to those around you. Introduce yourself to someone if you haven't met them yet, and welcome them this morning. Welcome to Maranatha. I'm Pastor Tony. work with the youth ministry here at Maranatha. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you've joined us on this Palm Sunday as we gather together. If you have a prayer request or if you're new or just wanting to get connected, we do have yellow sheets that should be in the pews. You can fill those out and you can drop them in the little offering box on your way out. And just as a reminder, um, we since COVID, we don't pass our offering place, but that is still part of our act of worship, and so we do encourage you, if you are a regular attender, um, to continue uh, worshiping God through trusting Him in, in, that, in that way, and we just thank God for the financial provision that He has blessed us with as a church over the years, and He has been very faithful to us, and so uh, take note of that. Uh, we have a few announcements with upcoming Good Friday and Easter services. So on Good Friday, 6 p.m. here in the sanctuary, we invite you to uh, bring your friends and join us as we uh, reflect on um, that day, on what happened that day, uh, but also celebrate what it means. And so on Easter Sunday, we have uh, 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. services. No uh, Sunday school, no discipleship groups next Sunday but two services, so 9 a.m. or, or 10.45 a.m. And we have a spring retreat coming up pretty quickly here for the youth. We do have, uh, we've been announcing that for a while with the youth. Uh, we have brochures at the welcome desk. So parents, if the information hasn't made it all the way home to you, even though we've been announcing it to your students, uh, uh, you can grab one of these and get signed up through the Soul Garage website, uh, thesoulgarage.com. There's a tab at the top for the spring retreat. You can click on that. We're going to be out at Arrowhead Bible Camp again like we did a few years ago. Uh, this is a joint retreat with a few other churches, uh, Chippewa Valley Bible Church, Reeve Evangelical Free Church, and potentially a couple others. And uh, we have a, a guest speaker who will be sharing that weekend, and uh, we have a, a team, a worship team that's coming in to lead worship, uh, an extended time of worship Friday night out there at Arrowhead. So it should be a fun time. We'd love to have as many uh, middle school and high school students as possible join us for that. And then we have a spiritual advance directive. This is something that Pastor Cody had mentioned a, a little while back in one of his sermons, but we do have a date set for that. Um, so uh, this isn't something we like to think about, our own death, our own funeral, our memorial service, uh, but it is a huge uh, blessing to your family. As pastors, I um, can't tell you how many times we've worked with families where 
They end up fighting and arguing over how to do the funeral because the, the loved one didn't indicate their wishes on that. So May 7th, if you want some help, we have a whole list of questions just to kind of guide you through, thinking through what do you want that to look like for you and for your family, planning ahead for that so it's not a burden. So during that time of grief for your family, they don't have to worry about the funeral service side of it. It's already planned. It's already taken care of. And they know that they're honoring your request. And so that's May 7th after uh, Sunday school and the adult discipleship groups uh, in the fellowship hall until about uh, 1.30. There's no child here for that, but uh, you can just bring the kids along with. We'll have some food and, uh, and, it, and just kind of help guide you through a process of thinking through that, jotting down some notes so you have that prepared. And then another reminder, um, we've been doing a, a little campaign, a little challenge for married couples here this spring kind of launched out of our, our uh, Valentine's Day event that uh, we had here. So challenging couples to go on dates together, to be intentional in, in spending time together as married couples. And uh, if, you, if you haven't joined in on that yet, it's still not too late. You can jump in on it. There are some prizes that we have, uh, but the, there's, there's a sheet at the welcome desk that you can grab and you can take note of your... Uh, the goal is to do two intentional dates uh, each month. And then you get entered into uh, some, so a drawing for some prizes at the end. And we'll be wrapping that up here in a couple months. So I just want to remind you again about that, though. And uh, you can do a, a study together and, and get additional opportunities to potentially uh, win one of the prizes. But obviously, just spending time with your spouse is prize in itself. But sometimes we need to be challenged and encouraged to be more intentional with that. And we do value marriages. We value families here at Maranatha. And that's just one way we're trying to encourage that. And I think my last announcement is that uh, baby Joel is in the house today. So don't all swarm him at once, but uh, yes, Pastor Aaron and Corinne, uh, congratulations to them. We are so excited as a church family to join with you along with other families that are having little ones as we uh, see that as a community effort, discipling our kids together, and the church is part of that process, and so... If you have not had a chance yet to meet baby Joel, though, uh, today might be your opportunity. With that, I invite Pastor Cody to come on up. Thank you, Pastor Tony. Uh, one more announcement as we were talking about the funerals and stuff. If you recall, I mean, this year's been a hard year for the Rice Lake High School, and just a lot of tragic things have happened. If you recall, there was an accident where a couple of the kids passed away, and we were uh, able to do a funeral for winter here at the church and this month is her birthday, and, and I think it's important to still celebrate her birthday. And what we're doing is we're collecting art supplies. She liked to draw and do stuff, so we're collecting art supplies here at our church and other churches that we will get to different hospitals, so that way when kids are around there, they have things to use when they're sitting in, in the waiting room or whatever. So if you um, have a desire to give some art supplies, just let us know. Call the office. We'll give you more information on that. Well, this morning is beautiful. I'm excited about this morning. And I just want to take a moment and just to ready our hearts to pray because last week was was challenging for us because we had to go through a, a chapter and a half looking at these last events of the life of Jesus before the cross and then the cross and then his death. We're going to do this again, but looking at the other aspect of it. So to me, I, I'm very excited about this. So let's just ready our hearts in prayer. Because I know my mind's thinking other things too at times, like even baby Joel, he's back there, you know, just 
So let's just take a moment and focus, okay? Lord, we come before you. This next 45 minutes that we have together is is very important. As we steady our hearts and ready our hearts, Spirit of God, for you to do something wonderful, something glorious, as we, again, look at this cross, look at these stories that we, some of us, we know these so well, Help us again see the beauty of what we have before us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so take your Bibles. If you've got a Bible, take your Bible. Go to Mark chapter 14, right in the middle there. Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 27. And we're going to go through, and today... Because of time, I'm not going to read the whole chapter of 15 in this whole section of Mark 14. We're going to read parts here. The past two Sundays and today here, we're working through Mark 14 and 15. In doing this, we're walking through these passages, looking at the events of Jesus as he goes to his death. And last Sunday, we focused on the darkest day that we have in history, period. It's the darkest day in history. We looked more at the tragic, the ugly parts of the cross story. What we have before us here in these chapters is very tragic, very sad, very ugly. It's it's horrible. Why would the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, have to go through this? We looked at the five parts of our story at hand. And we showed, if you recall, just classic portraits and paintings of the events and looked at just one word for each of those. Well, the last one was a few, but denial, suffering, betrayal, death, and then the end, period. We saw last week these events, Thursday night in Gethsemane, Jesus suffered greatly and was arrested and betrayed by one of his disciples. And then they all abandoned him. His own disciples, one of his own, denied being one of his. The chief priests in Sanhedrin called for secret trials in the dead of the night. They sought finally to kill Jesus. The final verdict of crucifixion was handed down by the Roman prefect Pontius Pilate. After severe beating, being mocked, and marched to Golgotha, Jesus is nailed to the cross where he remains for hours. He breathes his final and last breath and is dead. Then he's taken down, buried, the end, period. That's where we ended. So last week, it was what Jesus went through. This week... It's what he did for us. Today I'm going to have Andre, so come on up, Andre. Andre's going to help with this because a few months ago he and his wife went to Israel. And instead of old portraits, we're going to look at pictures he took. The locations we're going to read about. I'm going to cover the personal theological reflections. Whereas Andre is going to cover the personal experience reflections. So I'm going to cover theology and reflect upon that. And he's going to cover these personal reflections as he walked at some of these locations. 
Again, even though today we're going to read through some of these passages that we're familiar with, and we read last week, we're going to have a different focus. Last week, we looked at this going, this is the darkest, most horrible day in history. Today, we're going to look and go, oh, but this is the brightest thing. Amen? The beauty, the triumph, the treasure of what he did for us. The gospel produces a response of devotion, delight, or doxology. And a treasure-based gospel motivated by salvation. So I want you today just to, just to sit and just go, this is beautiful. So this leads us to Palm Sunday. So did, did everyone get branches? If you've got branches, wave them up. Here, I'll pass them all. you got some. Some up. All right, look, at, look around there. Awesome. So every time I go through this theological statement, I want to raise the, the branches. So let's begin looking today at chapter 14, starting with verse 27. Last week we looked at denial. So get ready. So wave your branches here. Wave them up. From denial, he brought us back. From denial, he brought us back. Thank you. You can stop waving them. Because I know some of you would be like me all day long. Here we go. We have seen, so here we go. Let me just read a portion of this here. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, it will happen. We have seen that Peter and the other disciples protest that they would never deny Jesus. But that doesn't change his prediction and the fact what happens. We who are here today may not have denied Jesus in a courtyard. We don't walk into church and someone goes, oh, thanks for being here to worship Jesus. Oh, I'm not here to worship Jesus. We don't want to consider that we would be like Peter. But we are. By choosing sin, by forging our own way for satisfaction and selfish behavior, by following the world, we essentially have at times betrayed Jesus. It's the error of every heart. Yet here's the beauty. There is hope for these men because Christ is going before them into Galilee, and this shows that they will be brought back. When the resurrection happens, guess what? They will be brought back again. Christians do sin, and at times sin grossly. But evil is not the last word for those who truly belong to Jesus. Though we may deny him, though we may sin, we have a God that brings us back when we repent. Amen? I love what Jesus quoted out of Zechariah 13. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then later at the end it says, they will call on my name and will answer them. And I will answer them and say, 
These are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Though we may abandon him, he will not abandon us and will present us as a holy people to the Father. So if you have sinned, I encourage you this day, it's not too late to seek his favor. Dear wayward sheep, repent and return to God. Because even when we deny, he brings his sheep back. Amen? As uh, Pastor Cody mentioned, uh, last September, both Renee and I had the privilege of uh, going, traveling to Jerusalem. This trip for both of us uh, was one of the most memorable trips that we ever had to this date. It's uh, solely shifted my focus on who Christ is, really grounded my faith. Um, our trip had multiple purposes. Uh, the very first purpose was to connect with some of our brothers and sisters who are in the trenches on the underground church, working among the Muslims community within Jerusalem, in the walls of Jerusalem, and just to see what they, they go through, the persecution that they go through there. Um, we stayed outside of the city, and then the second, the second purpose of my trip was really to connect, to walk where the Messiah walked. As a little boy growing up, I've always wanted to do it. And both Ren and I decided, hey, what are we doing for our anniversary? And that's it. We wanted to go there. So the very, uh, the very first picture that I took, I kind of mapped out where I wanted to go and the things we wanted to see. Um, the very first picture, yeah. So we stayed outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. And uh, so these are the walls that kind of surround Jerusalem. Can flip to the, the next picture. Um, I remember our first interaction uh, with, our, with our host lady. Uh, Renee said, it feels good to be in Jerusalem. And our host said, you mean Palestine? And right away I thought, okay, our conversation has to be a little different here because it's controlled by the Muslims. These are the walls that surround Jerusalem. And our second picture here, without missing a beat, that's our, our host lady said, I could also feel the tension in the city while we were there. These are the walls that surrounds Jerusalem. So I'm on the inside looking out here. That's all the way around Jerusalem. Jerusalem itself, uh, could we go to the, the Mount of Olives? So our next journey, we went up to the Mount of Olives and I took a panoramic, um, so we're still outside of the, inside the city walls here. So this is a panoramic uh, of Jerusalem standing on the Mount of Olives. And right here would be the Garden of Gethsemane, right about here. Um, there, the Last Supper would be about right here in this region. This is the Kidron Valley, right about here. Um, Solomon's Temple would be right here. I wish I could blow the picture up a little more. Um, Gethsemane would be out yeah, so the Mount of Olives, and this would be Gethsemane, would be out here, outside the city walls. Jerusalem itself is uh, controlled by four um, groups, four ethnic groups. The Muslims, the Armenians, the Christians, and the Jews. You could not get to the Jews within the walls without going through security. Um, 
they were really protected uh, for main reason, because people want to kill them. Within the walls, you can feel the tension between these groups. Um, something that really stuck out to me being in the walls, within the walls here. Uh, by standing on the Mount of Olives, I can feel the sorrow that Jesus, because we saw the tension down there, I can feel, feel the sorrow that led Jesus to say in Luke 13, 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you have killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you, children together, as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings. You were not willing. This is the tension in this city, even to this very day. Let's look at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. All right, wave your palm branches for this next theological aspect here. From suffering to the beauty of his obedience. Thank you for waving them. You can put them down. The submission of Jesus to the will of his father was not a passive resignation just to fate. Instead, he wrestled with the choice before him as an active submission to God's will that would prevail over all things. Christ's humanity was different than ours. Is that he suffered, he was weak and troubled, but it wasn't blended with sin as we have. Jesus asked for another way to save us, but he did not ask it out of a stubborn, disobedient refusal to submit to the Lord. He wasn't there going, oh, I don't want to do your will, God. He was willing to obey the Father no matter what the outcome would be. Jesus was not questioning the Father's wisdom when he asked the cup to pass. Instead, he was submitting to the Father's will. He admits honestly his dread of suffering of what is about to come upon him. In the suffering, in the sadness, in the weakness, there was a purity of obedience. When Adam, the first human being, was in the Garden of Eden, he was the first human to reject God's will as he ate the forbidden fruit. Through that disobedience, all humanity has been enslaved to sin and death. In contrast, we have Jesus, who is called the second or last Adam. We have the complete obedience of Jesus, leading to justification and life for all of those who are in him. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was without sin. He made the choice to obey God, unlike Adam, who was in the garden, and disobeyed. May we have that same willingness 
in the midst of suffering to work through suffering with obedience. Jesus shows us that we may be honest and confess with anguish when we feel overwhelmed and are faced with the prospect of suffering and maybe even death. God brings to us, as we submit to him, his will, the power to obey, no matter the pain that is about to come. It was short pain to come. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's another highlight of my trip. I walked in the garden singing, I come to the garden alone. But the dew is still under roses. This is the picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. The beauty of Jesus, his obedience in the hour of death. This is a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane here. I remember as Renee was sitting reading uh, scripture, we took our cultural background Bible. We just wanted to read actually what was happening around that time. This tree right here that's in front of us, they age it to be 3,000 plus years old. And it's protected in the garden. But I wanted to, to just give a quick insight um, on what the garden would look like my video is kind of wonky. Technology, when it works. I swear it played good this morning. The weight of the sin of this world weighed on Jesus in the garden. I remember what he said to the disciples, my soul is overwhelmed. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Then I looked up. There's another video, Stacy. Would you show the one of the... Um, so inside here, this is a cathedral. There's no talking allowed in this. But this here, this is a spot they believed that Jesus sweats like drops of blood in that one spot. People were just sitting in here praying in this one spot. But after I looked up, the next moment was the gate. The gate with the, where well, we celebrate this, this Sunday, where well, we celebrate this, where Jesus rode the donkey into. This is called the Golden Gate. Directly from where he was crying was the gate that he rode. It's a few, a few days in, where we laid our cloaks down and where people Palm branches waved Hosanna in the highest. This is what he can see. And I thought, wow, what a picture of his love for us. What a picture of his love. What a perfect picture of his love. See, we can firmly anchor our life on him because he's the one that did the heavy lifting for us. This was life-changing to me. Personal, I took it like, wow, Jesus, you did this for me? Verse 42. Verse 42. Rise, let us go. 
here comes my betrayer. So wave your branches for this next part here. From betrayal, we see the beauty of God's sovereign plan. Awesome, you can put your branches down. Treachery and deceit found in the kiss and the betrayal and then a trial. The worst mishandling of justice ever committed as the council gave false testimony. What lies beneath this trial and this tragic event is the sovereign hand of God. Jesus knows what's coming. And as soon he sees through this will be the victory of the cross and the kingdom's coming when he speaks of his arrest as the fulfillment of what scriptures prophesize. Christ's words that he has to be betrayed into the hands of sinners were coming true. We see this when he's already spoken of and also in verse 41, 49. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says this. It prophesies that Messiah would be numbered among the transgressions, treated as if he was a sinner even though he had no sin of his own. Jesus can be seen here as the victim of what is taking place during the Passover week. Yet we see that he is control of all that is happening. Jesus knows he must suffer and that he will be betrayed by his own for it is according to the Father's plan. Nothing is out of his control. He has remained cool, calm, and collected during his stay in Jerusalem and teaching openly, knowing there's people that hate him. In fact, technically speaking, Jesus was not arrested because he was the one that was in control, right? Despite all appearances, God was still sovereign. All of the gospel accounts of these events highlight that Jesus had total control. Jesus knew what was about to happen. They didn't seize him. He came willingly. He came to lay down his life willingly for his people. And he did this without sacrificing his sovereign control over the events associated with the arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion. Since God is in control of the universe, even to the smallest detail, Proverbs 16, even the rolling of the dice, God is in control of the outcome. Truly, he's in control of the darkest day in history. Out of that, we can have assurance in God. We can be confident that he will take care of us. And, like as Peter, that we will not fall away. We are secure in the hands of the one who is sovereign over even his death. There's a rest and trial. I remember standing in Pilate's courts. And all this stuff is like 20 minutes walk. I mean, we can walk to a lot of these places and see the prison of Jesus uh, just beyond this wall. Some places you couldn't take pictures. They didn't allow you to take pictures here. 
Um, but that's the prison of Jesus. In Pilate's courtyard, I was standing outside Pilate's courtyard there in one of those, uh, in the next picture. So these are some, just some images of the walls outside of Pilate's court. I remember standing here, and Jesus would have been tried in one of these buildings back here. I remember standing out in the courtyard and imagining being like Peter around the fire. What would I have said? Did I not know him? Like Peter? We're on this side of the cross. It's easy to think, oh, I would not deny him. But being in an ethnic group, group of different peoples standing out here while he was being tried inside. Or would I have said, give us Barabbas? Or would I have been the only one who said, give us Jesus? Standing out here, I couldn't imagine what it felt like for the pain of our Savior. Being illegally tried in the dark. Go to chapter 15. Again, even though there was denial, God brings his people back. In the midst of suffering, we see obedience. And in the midst of this horrible trial, we see the sovereign hand of God. Now we move to the crucifixion. All right, wave your branches now. From death, we have the beauty of atonement. Awesome. Wave them high. All right, you can put them down. Chapter 15, verse 24. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. There was more than just physical suffering and death, which was horrible enough at this event, this dark and horrible day. His suffering went far beyond the physical. It had great spiritual dimension also. In fact, nothing in Christianity or the world has greater consequences than the understanding of this event, the cross event. Why did Christ have to die? What was achieved at his death? It comes down to this. Here it is. The saving work of Christ. Yet even today there is a bit of confusion among people as to the why. Why did Jesus have to die? Honestly, if you're unable to answer this question you are more than just missing out. Also, having the wrong answer and understanding or not fully grasping the biblical teaching of the why of the cross can have dangerous results. Christ came to die for us. But to save us from what? It's interesting, in church history, there have been some unique, problematic and false theories of why Jesus came to die. For the sake of time, I'll just give you two. One is called the ransom from Satan theory. In this view, Satan held humanity captive. So God offered Jesus to Satan, 
Thus, the ransom, Christ's death, was paid to Satan to free us. The problem with this view is that Satan is the one who requires the payment. And Satan becomes the object of Christ's death. That's wrong. Or another one, there's, there's many of them. The second one I chose is the moral influence theory. God's love for humanity has, was shown in the giving of his son, number one, to identify with our suffering, and secondly, that our hearts would be softened, and then through that we could find forgiveness. Here, humanity is the object of Christ's death. The problem with these theories is the lack of biblical evidence and what the object of Christ's death is, and the overwhelming biblical evidence contrary to these theories. Christ came to die for us. But to save us from what? Let me just give you three verses here. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Very famous one. Christ died for our sins. Five important words according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 1 Timothy 1, 15. Christ came into the world to save sinners. We read that last week, of whom I am the worst. Remember that? 1 Timothy 1.15. Or 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died for sins once for all that he might bring us to God. Because of our sin, we deserve the judgment, the curse, and the wrath of God. But we saw last week, to be hanged on the cross would be to die under God's curse, God's judgment. This curse must be understood as separation from God's blessing and eternal exposure to God's wrath. We deserve the wrath of God. For us to be reconciled to God, our sin had to be dealt with. Because of our sin, we are saved from the wrath of God as he presented Jesus as a substitutionary atonement as Jesus took our place, absorbing the wrath of God. And bearing the judgment we deserve, Romans chapter 3, 21 through 25. Here, out of our statement of faith, says this. We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only grounds of salvation. Here is the beauty of his death. We don't get what we deserve, the wrath of God. Instead, he gives to us what was earned by Jesus. We get the righteousness that comes by faith. By his atoning sacrifice on the cross, Jesus set us free, body and soul, from the eternal condemnation and gained for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life as penned out in the Heidelberg Catechism. Crucifixion. This is another part for me. Just right outside of Pilate's Gate, it's the, the road we know as the Via de la Rosa. But Jesus took that cross, just walked right up to the, out of Pilate's courts and it's up on this road. And he walked down this dirty road and these buildings that surround him, 
can imagine people just shouting. Now this is a busy place. At this time, this was early in the morning. But this, usually during the day, it gets really packed with people. Just wanted to make this journey. You walk down the road to Via de la Rosa, and then off to the right, which is the next picture, you'd see the, the lion's gate that led to what they believed this would have been Calvary's mountain. So again, Jerusalem is controlled by Muslims, a lot of them. The Muslims decided that they wanted to build a, a bus station here. So they just started to tear this stuff down. And a businessman from England decided, you know what, we're going to buy this entire thing back. Christian businessman, thank God for him. So they bought this entire hill back. But this would have been known as Calvary. You'd have been walking here and looking up. As scholars believed, this here would have been the cross. There's a road above where people can see. This was out in the public. It's the busiest place in Jerusalem. Nothing like the Romans to tell you you're next by looking up and seeing their form of execution. Crucifixion or execution was common in those days. Or execution was common in those days. Could you go to the next? Uh, yeah, so this would have been in 1898. So this is the garden tomb, which was right next to uh, the crucifixion. Again, as we walked down this road and that led out there, I couldn't help but think, wow, Lord, for me, for me, for a sinner like me, I took it personal. For a sinner like me, you went to the cross, out in public. All right, the burial. So get your branches, wave them high. It's over, it's done. But from the end to the beauty of being buried with Christ and being set free. You can put your branches down. This is the end of chapter 15, 42 to the end. Look at verse 46. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in the tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. It's done, it's over, buried. Death is the sentence pronounced on sinners. And death is required for atonement. The object of God's giving Jesus isn't to Satan, isn't to us, it's to himself. Because we deserve it. If Jesus had not died, then we have, not, have no assurance of the demands that God's law were met in Christ and no foundation believing that we are at peace with God. His death and burial is more than just a record of historical facts. It proved that he truly died and he endured the curse for his people. Take your Bibles, if you could, go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Or don't you know, and many of us don't understand this, but listen, or don't you know, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We 
were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So we now have been buried with Christ. Our bondage to sin has ended and we are set free so that the evil desires of the flesh no longer reign within us. The beauty of his burial is this. We are also killed and buried. And as a result, sin and death may no longer rule over us. We are set free from the curse of sin and death. Romans chapter 6 states that we have this union with Christ in his death, in his burial. When God put on or imputed our sin to Jesus, he also imputed that ability of sin to enslave us and its guilt, and we're set free from that. We now are free from the power of wickedness to enslave us as we trust in Christ alone and walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Christians died to sin. And now we can choose not to sin and pursue holiness through the Spirit. Our sinful nature was crucified and buried with Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We are now set free, truly free indeed. Being set free, being free indeed. I remember standing at the garden tomb. I got really emotional about this. Standing about the garden tomb. And looking at where they put our Savior. So this picture right here, remember they give the body of Jesus to Joseph of Amartes. This is in his garden. Just beyond this, right here, this confirms the story in the Bible. This is his garden. Confirms the tomb that laid in here. So just behind this, it's down, is where they laid Jesus. And I remember standing in the tomb. It's where they laid our Savior. And I thought, God, you love us so much. If you give your one and only son, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, that we can be free. Don't take your salvation lightly. It came with a price. His one and only son, that we can be free. Stacey, you want to go to the next, next picture, please? So this would have been the tomb, the entrance to the tomb. And the big stone would be right here where they sealed it. See that trough? That big stone would be right about here where they placed it. This is inside. 
I remember standing there going, Jesus, I thank you for what you did for us. The sin of this world laid on your shoulders for us to be free. Just so that we can have a relationship with our God. He who knew no sin became sin. That we can be called the righteousness of God. You go to the, the next picture here. Okay. Jesus Christ loved us so much. That he said, Father, it's not my will, but yours be done. That is the obedience that led us to have a relationship with our God. He did the work. We're no good. We are no good. We were dead in our sins. Jesus did the heavy lifting. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what he has done for us. And I remember just weeping in the tomb because that became personal to me. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that you bought us back. It's not about me, but you bought us back into being in a relationship with your father. Again, this is truly the darkest thing. Darkest day in history. But yet, it's so beautiful when you see theologically what's happening here. Those who deny him, they are brought back by the sovereign hand of God. Isn't that wonderful? And even in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of the anguish, we know that it was the obedience of Christ where we could not be obedient. And then the trial, the arrest, betrayal, out of that, we must always know God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. That is my hope. Amen. And then the cross. Without the cross, we would not have this atonement. He absorbed the wrath of God that I deserve. And his burial... I was buried with him. Amen. And I'm set free. Let me close with this. I'm going to read out of Matthew 28. You don't have to turn there, but if you want, Matthew 28. I'm just going to read just a little part here. The angel said to the woman, I'm jumping ahead of the story. It's okay to do that. In fact, let me get you ready for next week. He is risen. risen indeed. The angel said to the women... Do not be afraid. Come see the place where he's laid. Then go quickly. Mm. Tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. And guess what? Those who ran away and dispersed, he's going to meet you again. So the women hurried away, filled with joy, and ran to the disciples. I hope you maybe understand some of the theological stuff behind this, but I, I can't just stop there. Let others know, amen? amen? 
I'll never forget this week. I, it was a day where I had like five meetings. I was just like, oh, it's just a busy day. And I had an extra half hour free. So I, I went to a group of people I hang out with. And I walked through the door and the person goes, the perfect man is here. I'm like, oh, that's not me. And I literally said, I am not the perfect man. And she goes, guess what? The perfect man for your questions here. And I hear a laugh because they heard my voice. And here's the question. What happened on Thursday with the cross and Peter? And I went, I am the perfect man for that question, okay? And with the two of them, I just laid out the gospel. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, Peter was a, a fool. He, he just denied Jesus. But, and I was thinking, I get to preach about this on Sunday, and I'm preaching it right now. God is a God of grace, and he brought him back. And I looked at him and said, you and I, we are sinners, but God can bring us back. So look at me. You know this message, right? Go out and let others know. Even though it's the darkest day, be filled with joy as the ladies were. It wasn't just the resurrection, it was also the cross. This whole thing is now come. That's my prayer, that you would let others know the beauty of Christ. Be ready, because you might open a door and they say, oh, the perfect person's here to tell us. You'd be like, oh, what? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this epic pinnacle. It all comes to this. This is the mountaintop of the history of redemption. Building up in the Old Testament, pointing to all the sacrifices, getting people ready, then the Messiah comes, not in the way they anticipated. It's horrible, but it's beautiful. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for you are so, so good. Help us realize this. Experience it but also tell it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our last song. Sorry to change that for you, Stacey. We're going to sing one last song, so if you're able to stand and join us and sing, and if you want to wave a branch the whole time, you can. Just don't poke people next to you, all right?